Well, welcome everybody to the Drum Dungeon, or this event is built as the Drum Dungeon. But it's basically the very same idea as Room 101, so what we're going to do is we are going to give uh, you know, a, a, a cathartic experience. We're going to look at some of the things that are really annoying the industry, and we're going to give you the opportunity to consign them to oblivion, to consign them to, to history. And the first thing I'm going to consign to history is actually going to be any references to S&M. Uh, so I don't like the name, so I, but I do a little pun. So this event is actually going to be rebranded with immediate effect. Dream 101! Yeah. Like the sound of that, Dream 101. Uh, but what we do is we have, we have a brilliant uh, victim here who's, who's agreed to come along and suggest a few alternatives he finds really frustrating in his day-to-day -day life. He's Mark Runicus. Come on up, Mark. Have a wee seat if you want. Uh, Mark doesn't really need an awful lot of introduction. I'm going to maybe ask him about himself in just a second. But he's obviously the, one of the co-founders and head planning hot show at Baxon. He's also one of the co, or was one of the co-owners at Kamarama. He's also the chair of the DMA. So he's really, really placed in the middle of this network. He knows exactly what pisses people off and he's going to sort of talk about these things now. Uh, it's quite a short session, we've only got about 15 minutes, probably going to overrun, to be honest, I like to talk, but 15 minutes, that's what we're waiting for. So we're not going to have time for questions, but we do want to get you guys involved. So what we're going to do after uh, every little segment, we're going to look at three specific things. Uh, if you agree with Mark that it should go into oblivion, uh, we want you to boo. And if you want to save it forever, we want you to cheer. Uh, do you want to sort of give that a little try, do you think? So I thought I'd give it, give it a try. For the first time ever at a job event, I'm going to give you the opportunity to hit on and head can it. And say, look, Gordon, this is a shit idea. Uh, we, want, we, want to, we want to send this whole event to 101. Or no, we want to hear Mark. We want to hear Mark. Uh, so those of you who want this event to go ahead and hear Mark, cheer. Well, I'm going to try that again, actually. I'm a bit nervous then. I said, we want to hear Mark cheer! Yay! Well, I don't know what you think, Mark. I might, I might postpone this vote. Uh, I think we have a future in Panto, it's without a doubt. Yeah. Well, I'm the Brighton take... Hippodrome needs to... A uh, straight man and a gay man like, me, like you and me. We'd be great. Right, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to take uh, Theresa May's example. We're going to postpone this vote until for a minute, until we're sure we're going to win it. Uh, and maybe move on to the session, Mark. Good idea. Good idea, yeah, okay. So no exit for us. <laughs> but first of all, before we sort of kick off, don't you just give us a bit more about yourself and what your background is and why you reckon you're well placed to? Oh, uh, I, well I guess I've been, I've been around a long time. Um, so yeah, I've been working in uh, whatever we call what, what, what we do nowadays. It's called advertising for about 30 years. Uh, and um, I, I, I'm a quite, I'm, I'm an insecure planner, is what I am. That's the best way to describe myself. And I think that's what's driven quite a lot of the things that I want to throw away. It's basically quite a cathartic experience, as you said, because it's free therapy for, for me. So I hope you don't mind. You're kind of in my Planners Anonymous group uh, this morning as I throw stuff away that has terrified me over the past 30 years. Is that okay? Yeah. And I will walk out of here unencumbered by all of those anxieties uh, and I'll be a better planner. 
And now obviously we have they're a bit planning, because you're planning, like to plan stuff, so you'll have planned a session a bit. We have planned it a bit. And so we've got three things we're going to discuss specifically, but there were other candidates on your list. There were, in no particular order, they were Campaign Magazine, don't get Ray! I mean, boo! I'm not just saying, I'm not just saying that, it really... Anyway, uh, uh, is this kind of the whole kind of fakeness of our industry, which is one thing that really winds me up. Um, there was um, Pictures as well. Uh, that probably got, was very quite close to the top of the list, and my answer to that, I think, I would still love to do it. We, we kind of got gone off script, haven't we? I'd still love to do it. I'd love to do the 24-hour pitch. Has anybody ever done one where the client gives you the brief tonight, and then you read it overnight, and you will all turn up tomorrow, and you just do it on the fly, and then the client makes the decision based on that really live and, uh, you know, in-your-face response to a pitch. I'd love to do that and save so much time because, you know, we're a tiny business now. I've gone from a, an agency of 400 odd people to a, a tiny business. And, you know, still the amount of time and money we spend on pitches is just, just crazy. That's great. Anything else on your list very quickly before we... Uh, I can't remember the others. Let's get, let's well, let's get, get going. Right. The, the... So, number one then. Uh, so, let's see if we get thicker to work. Thicker yeah. works. Yeah. This was that, first of all. So, I actually didn't know what this is called, uh, but because I did a bit of homework before I came here, it's called the Loomascape. Um, you knew this, because you're... Yeah, the, the Loomascape was created by a guy called Terence Kowaja, who runs Luma and Partners, which is a New York-based investment business, and invests in tech. And he basically did this as a, a, a publicity stunt to sort of show the scale and the, you know, how the industry's building. Uh, but I like the fact that you're considering this for Room 101, as well as a banker, Terence is also a stand-up comedian, so you might get the joke that I'm going to chuck his, his big marketing idea into the bin. Oh, okay. Well, the, uh, the kind of uh, meme that I read about it was when he first presented it, um, it was animated. So, sorry, have we worked out what it is? Because I didn't know what it was. Let me tell you when I first saw it. So, we were doing a pitch and uh, it were kind of last minuting as the pitches you inevitably are. And then, uh, because we're not organised, people were bringing their last minute slides into the pitch war room, like you do. And this, and the CTO, we were quite big then, we had a CTO in those days. And the CTO brought, chuck this slide in, and I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I mean, and he said, oh, it's the ad tech ecosystem. I said, oh, of course, yes. Terrified that he might think I didn't know what on earth he was talking about. I've since had it kind of explained to him, and it's the buy side and the sell side and all that kind of stuff. So apparently when it was first presented at this IAB conference in 2010 or something like that, um, it was animated and a Google logo appeared on our left and just basically gobbled up all of the stuff to the right, which is probably what is going to happen, I guess. Um, but you need me to tell you why I think it should be booked into the Droom... Drunjun. Got it. The Drum um, <laughs> Because, you know, I, I kind of gave a hint earlier that one of the things I hate about bits of our business is the fakery. I think, I mean, apparently on the latest version of this thing, because it's still going around, there are 6,000 brand names and platforms and tools and all of those kind of words. And I think it is the epitome of Emperor's New Clothes in terms of what the ad tech space is all about. Because, uh, you know, there's so much going on there that we don't really understand, we can't see. Um, and it worries me that because 
clients are spending a lot of money. You know that they spend about 60% of every pound goes on digital media. And they keep, they're putting more and more money in there. And that means that we're getting less of the money that I want us to get to be innovative, creative, and disruptive because they're sticking more money into this machine. And I think you made a great point, which is how much money goes in one side and actually gets to the place where it should get to on the other, which is to buy the eyeballs that we want to buy the eyeballs for, for the creative work that we've developed. Actually, beggars belief, I don't know how much it goes, but it's siphoned off all along the way. So I think it epitomizes all that is wrong with the ad tech ecosystem to, to go back to what my CTO said. Yeah, and, and so maybe so sort of moving on quickly to get your views on it then. So just if you're not seeing ad tech's rubbish, you just, no. this symbolizes a lot that's wrong with the industry. So it's, it's confusing, it uses confusing terminology, confusing imagery. It's almost sometimes it's designed to deliberately confuse so people don't see where their money's going. So the question is, do you think the Loomiscape, what the Loomiscape represents, should go in to Droom 101? If you want to go in, let's hear it boo. And you want it to survive, let's hear a cheer! What do you think? I think you've won. I, I think we're in a liberal bubble that's like Brexit, and you're all on my side to begin with. Which don't be kind to me. You know, kind of be provocative if you want. Let's try the next one. So Tolly Terry is gone. This this is big data, okay? Um, and as Gordon, as Gordon said, uh, another one of my non-day jobs is as chair of the Direct Marketing Association, for which data is very, very important. Um, and the reason that I want to throw this one in is because uh, the whole concept of big data, to me, actually suggests that it's omnipotent, it's kind of out of my control, and, and it's got its own kind of life and force. And, and this is quite a serious uh, thing I want to talk about now, because I think when this came around, this was about 2005, I think, um, it actually created a mood that meant that what I thought was being self-regulated in this country, and I am really proud of the way that we do things in the UK, and it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I was really proud of how good we were at self-regulation. And then because of big data and other things, but for me it symbolised this, people realised uh, that it was perhaps getting a bit out of control. And then we had this thing called the GDPR which came along. And, and I was lucky in a way because I had a year's gardening leave between the Kalmarama and the Waxon. And, and I used that to go and talk to as many people in the kind of supply chain of data, the brand owners, the tech companies and everybody else. Uh, and, and I learned what I could and I was really lucky because I met the regulator and I was, I was fired up for a fight with the regulator because if those of you who looked at the GDPR, on first glance it was all a bit open-ended and people weren't sure about it. They, comparing it to the Data Protection Act, that was all pretty cut and dry. But the GDPR, there were quite a few unanswered questions. And so I decided to go into battle with Elizabeth Denham, who, on reflection now, is an amazing, uh, formidable woman, and she did an awful lot of work in this space in Canada. Um, but what I realized was she told me that those kind of open-end things in the GDPR were there on purpose to make us, to make you, all accountable. So rather than being able to tick 
the boxes of the Data Protection Act. I think, aha, I've now managed to sail on the right side of the letter of the law, but I'm going to completely ignore the spirit of the law. That is what she did not want to do with the GDPR. It was completely the opposite. You kind of have to make up your own rules and work out that the way you are using consumer data is in everybody's interest. And so big data should go in the bin because it symbolizes for me all that was wrong and out of control with the data ecosystem. But I am confident that we have got things, we are getting things back under control. Well, that's, that's interesting. So it's really the sort of mindset big data represents where it's about that it's not, data it's not, using it really It's early. not your data, it's my data. Yeah, and I, I want an authentic relationship between you, whoever's using my data, and me, the data owner, the data subject. And I just, can I just give a shout out to one of our partners in the room here, Winwo. Uh, we were working with these guys who really deliver that promise. Really good company in terms of AI, lead gen. If you don't know who they are, they're worth getting to know, but they're in here somewhere, I think. But, so, the big data worked then. Or a big data expression. Data I, mean, I think I suspect he might win this. Uh, but shall we go first? But who wants to keep the big data word or a big data expression? Is that, the, that the posing the question? Are you happy with that? Give us a cheer. Ray, <laughs> someone cheer for it. <laughs> and who wants to go to, to Drew 101? <laughs> well, he got that one as well. This is a bit worrying. Well, no, wait till the last one. Go on. So, what's, what's the image of the last one? Here we go. Oh. That's, that's planners. That's me, that's apparently. Yes. So just to be clear, the final thing I want to put in the groom is planners. Um, and Despite the fact you're Well, you, I'm kind of ready to retire, I think. So it's probably about time you got rid of me. Um, but again, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of something that I do feel really passionate about. Over the past 20 or 30 years, I've seen our space, the agency space, add layers of people, make the process more complicated. Uh, and I'm old enough to remember when we didn't actually have planners. Uh, you know, and I'm proud to say I was what, you know, what, what we call a suit. Uh, and I realized that I was doing plannery stuff as a suit in those days. Um, in fact, I used to do nine to five. I'd be doing keeping the trains running on time and making sure we got the invoices in. And then in the hours of darkness, I'd be writing PowerPoint to engage with my clients and talk about the strategic things with them. And that's kind of how I learned to do it. And, and I think it is a real shame that the client service function has, to a greater or lesser degree, become marginalized. You know, and, and people call you, if there's those of you in the room, bag carriers when they're being unkind about you. And so many of the other skills have been taken away from you and given to other parts of our organizations, which is sound on one level. But more importantly, I think all of those layers, all of those new roles, all of those extra people in the agency, which are great for timesheets when you're sending a client an invoice, but in actual fact, when clients are looking at where the real value lies, you know, the really big clients tell us what they want to buy is Mr. Weed and Mr. Pritchard say they want to buy creativity, creative thinking and stuff like that, and they don't need all the other layers inside our organizations. And specifically on planners, and I kind of agree with this, 
they said, you know, we've got loads and loads of data, loads and loads of research inside our organisations. And why the intellectual property in using all of that data and all of that research has to reside outside of my organisation, I do not understand. So they even said, I don't think we really need planners. What we really want to buy from agencies is creativity and creative thinking. So it's, it's a symbol for me that I think the agency model is broken and it's about time we all revisited it. And just a plug for my business, if you go and look us up, we've tried to disrupt and we brought media and creative back together in one place so the clients don't have to go to two, to, to two places to buy that. So we, we've had our own little uh, attempt at it. I encourage you to do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, I think planners should go into room 101 because I'd love it if the suits, again, were able to have more than a back-carrying relationship with clients. Because I think if you have a strategic relationship with them, it's much, much more profound. You're not selling at them all the time. I think you'll have a longer-lasting, more profitable, more mutually profitable relationship with your clients as a result. So make me redundant. Well, what do you think? Should Mark go to Broom, uh, Broom 101? Uh, if you think planners should be uh, heading that direction, uh, give us a boo. <laughs> and if you think we should stay planners and planners should stay in agencies, give us a cheer. Yay! Well, I'm a bit surprised. <laughs> My retirement plan's gone out the window then, isn't it? Well, that's not bad. Uh, sort of, uh, sort of Two or three, well done. Thank you, yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of this little segment. You'll be relieved to know. Thanks, everybody, for uh, paying attention and taking part. Uh, and thanks once again to Mark for all his insights. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.